Welcome to another 99th episode. The show begins in just a minute. Who's the dynamite? It's good to record a podcast with my good friend Sean Naprid. Yes. At Bad Deacon on Twitter. Hey, yes. And then there's Paul Tessanier at Who's Paul? We're a good team. Yeah. That knows each other's Twitter handles. Yeah. that's <laughs> And that's it. <laughs> so, right before we started recording this, we uh, were having our usual little chit chat session mm-hmm. and. Uh, we started talking about shows that we really loved and binged and then stopped watching and kind of realized that we were saturated on. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, we should just start a podcast now. We were, so the first show we were talking about was uh, was Archer because you said Danger Zone. And, of course, that only let my Danger brain zone. think one thing. Yeah. Yeah, so we were like, ah, ridiculous shows like that are fun. So Archer's a lot of fun. And, of course, it's just the same guy that does uh, Bob's voice from Bob's Burgers. What's his name? H. Benjamin something mm-hmm. i don't yeah. know yeah. whatever his name is but yeah he does those two voices so what's really fun about that is um oh gosh i don't know a year or so ago my wife and i went on a bob's burgers binge and binge through the whole series that was available to us so it's kind of funny when you have a voice actor do two characters that i mean they're both kind of ridiculous characters and and how they behave but they're very different characters one is a you know fat balding burger chef you know like mm, uh, mm-hmm. burger restaurant owner and then the other one is a spy so like as different as you can get pretty much like uh it seems like oh archer's dressed up undercover <laughs> in a yeah. burger joint <laughs> with a fat exactly suit. <laughs> so yeah you, you could have this like playing around with uh you know like combining the two concepts in your head while you're watching it and like if you do that intentionally it's you know not entertaining but every once in a while when when your brain just like makes one of those connections and it hits you it can be hilarious to you. But then if you try to tell it to anybody else, it'll be like, what the hell are you talking about? The meta humor from between shows. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful thing to learn that uh, sometimes your jokes aren't jokes. They're just uh, a thought that you had and you should not tell people what they are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> that seems to be the point of this podcast. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. It's like Twitter. Sense to uh, us. You know, people are like, hey, here's my opinion. And then you look, read that and you're like, you know what? You probably just shouldn't have told anybody that opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always have the opposite problem. There's a bunch of stuff where I think about tweeting it and I start to write it out. And then I'm like, no one wants to hear this. Like, no one in the world is going to be better off for having read this thing that I just wrote. So delete. I saw somebody. Well, somebody retweeted or respond. I don't know, something like that. But somebody else's action is what made me see it. But somebody. Uh oh I know what it was. They actually they they covered up who did the original tweet because they didn't want to, you know, create conflict or whatever. But they tweeted a picture of like Street Fighter characters and you know Street Fighter characters are all kind of over the top. They're like, you know, massively muscular, especially yeah. as the the game has gone on, they've gotten more and more dramatic. So they tweeted that just being like, "Oh, I wish comic characters were still like this, but realism." And then, like that's the kind of comment. It's like, eh. but realism. <laughs> there's there's no logic in your comment. Like there are comic characters that are like that. Not everybody wants every comic character to be like that. So I don't know the mentality. It's you know it's kind of like when you have a, a joke that pops up in your head that's not actually a joke. Like just don't tell anybody that because it's only funny to you because there are all these like parts of your synaptic response to it that only you can possibly have. It's kind of like that with that kind of comment. Like. Eh. There's more to it than what you're saying. Um, but back to funny shows. The other one I thought it was Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I have never watched that one. I kind of... Did you watch any Adult Swim stuff? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, I skipped pretty much all of Adult Swim. I don't think I ever had it on cable service at any point in my life. Or what was it? Cartoon Network? Is that right? Yeah. I don't think I ever... Yeah. Yeah, and like I I assume it's still on. I like, I don't even know. Like I, I had a window in my life for a couple years where I watched Adult Swim and that was the primary show that I liked. Like the other ones were okay. Um what's funny though is um MF Doom who died last year. He did an album with Danger Mouse called Danger Doom uh that was all centered around Adult Swim. Like hmm. all those cartoons and classic cartoons and like it was a very like cartoon centric rap album 
Um, and it came out at that time when I was, it was actually, that came out after I started dating my wife. I, I told you, um, before we started recording that I kind of stopped watching Adult Swim when I started dating my wife. And that's because I was mostly watching it with a friend that I would go hang out with. And, you know, once I was dating a girl, I would rather spend time with said girl than watching Adult Swim with some dude. So <laughs> that's probably the right priorities. I think it worked out for me. Yeah. But yeah, so. I don't know, it's kind of funny because it's like such a small window and a lot of the shows they even reference on the Danger Doom album, like I've seen them enough to know what they are, but I didn't watch them that much either, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I kind of was just peripherally aware of it. I think I watched a little bit of Borat, just like I found clips on the internet or something like that in order yeah. to watch that. And I, I watched a little bit of that because like Borat was on Space Ghost. Space Ghost was, it was a fun show, but... The funnest parts were the ridiculous, like, side characters on it, like Borat. Yeah. I don't know if you ever watched Space Ghost, but it was like a... uh, It was like like a talk talk show. show. Yeah, Yeah. like, you know, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, except it's Space Ghost. And they would have guests on, but then, like, all... Like, the interactions were intentionally, you know... It was a a talk show, but it was, like, a, you know, really poorly done talk show by a superhero with his, like, arch villains (laughs) as part of the show crew and stuff. So I mean, that was the funny part was was those characters. Totally yeah, random off, off of that. Did you ever watch Homestar Runner? No. It was like a what when I uh, Flash I think when Flash cartoons became a thing on the internet for a while when I was like oh look what we can do. Homestar Runner was and I I only knew about it because somebody else showed me. I didn't watch much of it. Um, mostly just what my friends showed me. But Homestar Runner was this character and they made these like these internet cartoons but then one of the characters was uh strong bad oh that's what i know strong bad from okay yeah 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 he was like a like a you know masked wrestler type and then so he would have his own show i guess where he's answering like you know viewer questions and stuff yeah i've seen that i've seen the strong bad answering stuff but i've never seen home star runner that's pretty much what I saw too, because like okay. Homestar Runner, like I, I, yeah, I never really got that far into it to watch like you know where it started from, I guess. But um, do you ever watch the uh, the one where he draws the dragon, Trogdor the Burninator? Oh man, I don't remember a single yeah. thing about <laughs> about this show. So that I, is yes or no. This is <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, th- this is going back. Let's see, I'm 37, so this is going back like this is going back 18, like 20 19. years. 17, 18 years for me ago, this was. Uh, like, I remember the friend that showed it to me. Trogdor the Burninator, like, that one cartoon still sticks with me. And things from that, like, stick with me. Uh, so the other night, like, I don't know, uh, we were watching a TV show that referenced burning something. And, like, uh, I don't know, it just made me think of, you know, I'm I, that, you know, Trogdor will burninate you and... Just the ridiculousness. Like, it stuck with me so hardcore. And it's just it's so funny how stuff does that. So I showed my son. I showed my wife. And, um, yeah, that's the end of that story. Okay. Ferrari, great story. <laughs> it, just, it really cracks me up how stuff can stick with you, like, that hardcore, where it's like it's always planted in your brain. And anything that brushes up against that reference just re-triggers it for you, you know? Yeah, one of those things for me is going to be the uh, fake... G.I. Joe, Real American Hero Safety Announcements. Uh-huh. Did you ever watch the cartoon, or was that a little uh, young for you? The original Real American Hero cartoon? I I know it enough to know references. Okay, so at the end of every episode, they would have a little safety moment where yeah. there's like some power lines down, and the kids are like, let's go lick it. <laughs> and one of the G.I. Joes <laughs> shows up and says, now kids, you know, you shouldn't do that. You should call in a parent. And it, it's where the now you know comes from, because they'd always yeah. say, now we know, and knowing is half the battle. But somebody took those and then dubbed over them in those early years of the internet, like 2002, 2003, 2004, and started putting them out. And there's one where the kids start a fire in the kitchen, like they're cooking something and they start something on fire. And so Blowtorch 
<laughs> runs in and they dubbed him. He runs in and he's like, pork chop sandwiches. <laughs> and, and then he sees there's a fire and he just starts freaking out. He's like, oh my God, a fire. Get out. We're all going to die. Here we go. Oh my God. It's the end of the world. It just keeps going on. But till this day, pork chop sandwiches triggers that <laughs> recollection <laughs> of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that stuff's the best. Um, did you ever watch the uh, the Star Wars gangster app that was made around that time? Oh yeah, the little Flash animated. Yeah, one. all yep. those Flash things, man. Yeah, um, that's one that you know, another friend of mine showed me. And yeah, I've never been real big into Star Wars. We've talked about this plenty. Like I, I've watched it, you know, especially at that time. I think that was around when Episode you know one, two, and three were coming out. Yeah, so, like I I saw. At least one in the theater. I, I don't remember if I saw two in the theater. I know I didn't see three in the theater. But so, like, I was, you know, caught up in all that. But there are lines from that song that watching Star Wars will just make me, like, jump over into that. Because, I mean, it was telling the story of, like, the original trilogy, or at least the first movie, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just it cracks me up when I'm watching Star Wars, and I just think, like, run to Dagobah, run to Dagobah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like... I think that Flash cartoon told this story a little bit quicker and did a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, I think there wasn't there the, like, <laughs> Yoda, why you being a player hater, you know that I still must confront Lord Vader. And, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, when I was in high school, we in uh, my Spanish class, we had to make a, a video using spanish so like you know we had to like make a little like skit type of deal and you know use spanish and the the kid that i teamed up with was a huge star wars fan so he wanted to do a star wars one i'm like that's fine i don't care so we did it and the one thing that always will stick in my head is uh kienes un nerf herder (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) he got very serious about it he bought some like toy lightsabers and then afterwards is like you said you would pay me for part of this i'm like the hell i did <laughs> i'm not buying you lightsabers man yeah <laughs> yeah oh man those are like the glory days of the early internet when people just used it to make fun stupid stuff before it turned into just hate and bile and lies and disinformation yeah. and outrage uh, you know, I think the thing is, is um, when when your tools are more limited, you have to figure out how to, you know, get the most out of them. So people were creative in a different way because, like, now you can make anything you want on anything because the technology has just come so far. You've probably seen stuff like this, but like Kevin Smith talking about what he had to do to make Clerks and how nowadays, like, a, you know, somebody making a movie on their phone like, there's not the same challenges, you know? So it's like it uh, wouldn't be wise for somebody to do what he had to do to make Clerks. So it's re- now it's really about the content you're making and not, you know, pulling out all the stops just to make it because there aren't the same challenges, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's why there were some really interesting things that resonate with us still so far after the fact. It also could totally be that that's that really impressionable era in our life where we think we know what's great and we're like, ah, oh, this is great. And then we just obsess over it. And then like, you know, 10 years later, we're seeing that version of the same thing. We're like, oh, this is dumb, you know? Yeah, that could also be because that was like college and shortly after college for me. Yeah. And I think that's the age where we kind of lay the, the track work for the, you know, it's like when we're a kid, the cartoons, the toys, whatever we play with it, that's stage one. And then when we become an adult and start discovering like a whole new world of stuff for ourselves edgy what adult, we like right adult stuff like <laughs> like adult swim yeah that's when we put like another stamp in our life and that's the stuff that um we'll refer back to and enjoy regardless of how good it was you know i mean we can both think of lots of music that we listened to when we were younger that you know isn't exactly the greatest music like it, it didn't make its you know mark in the annals of you know the music world but we're never going to forget it because we listened to it then, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, one song I always go back to when I want to just, like, fun song to listen to is uh, Semi-Charm Life by Third Eye Blind. You know, it wasn't even like it was my favorite song then, but it's just such a, like, it, a, a song that sounds good. It's catchy and hooky. and But then, like, also, you look at the content of it, and you're like, this song is, is like, ridiculously inappropriate for the radio. 
so it's just like an interesting like it's it's still a fun song to listen to one week by bare naked ladies that's another one that just like i loved oh, listening no. to that when i was in high school you know and now it's like <laughs> i can still listen to that because i probably know every damn word in the song because i listened to it so much then is that the chickadee china the chinese chicken song yeah oh my yeah <laughs> that song is not good <laughs> yeah yeah, but it's from that time. It's a pop song. It. It's it, it, it. Yes, it is a pop song. I'll give you that. It's all. That's also one of the indicators that I go back to and look at, and I realize that um that I wanted to listen to rap, and I didn't know what rap was well enough then, because I mean the only rap I was exposed to at that time would have been like the really mainstream stuff that is not that interesting, you know, like. When I was a younger kid, like, no, not even that. Like, I would, like, I'm talking like MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice when I was a kid, you know? (laughs) Like, like pop rap. Criss Cross. Yeah, exactly. Like, really, really pop rap that, you know. House of Pain. Even even House of Pain is better than the other stuff I just said. Like, uh, House of Pain is a, you know, they very much have their, their, their niche, but, like, you get, jump around like one. It actually is, uh, it's a well made song. All their songs are pretty much about stupid stuff, but like they're, you know, for like a, an Irish rap group, like they actually made a lot of good music. And some of the people they worked with, like, have gone on to like contribute to lots of good music. So, like, they got their place and stuff, but like MC Hammer, Vanilla Ice, like, that's just pop music, you know? So that's what I was exposed to. So I look back at stuff like listening to One Week, or there was that Blues Traveler song where he, you know, has a segment where he's like rhyming really quickly, even though he's singing it. And, like, I was always drawn to stuff like that. And looking back, I realized that the reason I was drawn to that stuff is because uh, the, the you know, hip-hop that I ended up getting into, like, that was an element that I was looking for. And mm. so when I found it, I was like, oh, this is the good music, you know? Oh, I, <laughs> I don't see. need to listen to this other stuff anymore. So it was like you were gravitating towards the pop music that was borrowing elements from the music that you would eventually like. Pretty much, yeah, because I mean, I was just coming across what I came across. Like we all do at a certain age. Like you, only, you, you, at a certain age, you don't know how to seek music out. You only know how to find what comes across your pathway. Yeah, and when mm-hmm. you start finding stuff you like, usually that leads you deeper into channels where then you start to learn how to find more of what you like. You know, and that's why it took me a while to kind of settle into what music I really liked. Is you know, going through high school, nothing real. I didn't sink in deeper on anything. It's hard if you don't have friends. Yeah, that know this stuff also. Because when I started getting into punk, that was rock, exactly it. When I found friends, that's exactly what what opened the door for me. Go ahead, though. When you got into punk rock, yeah, when I got into punk rock, I didn't know. I, I didn't have any punk rock friends. I didn't know anybody that liked this stuff. So I had no resources to try to learn more. And it's not like you can go on the internet and just Google twenty best punk albums of all time in the early nineties. So. Yeah, you had to go buy a magazine to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but even then, like, there weren't even magazines for the stuff I was looking for, right? Well, because... no, it was like you go look at, like, Rolling Stone's best punk albums, and it would be, like, all, you know, The Clash and Yeah, it's going to be, yeah, and, like, exactly. The most surface-level yeah. stuff. Susie even, and the Banshees might make good, it, but... and that's it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not going to be the stuff that I was really, like, looking for, so I would just look at the t-shirts of the punk rock kids at school and, yeah. and be like, okay, well, I guess I'll go buy that record and see how it is. Yeah. It's, it's so funny because it's, it's such a different way to do stuff, but that that's a way that you actually find better stuff. And nowadays everything is so accessible that it's, it's hard in a different way to find stuff because everything is oversaturated. So if you Google, you know, best punk albums, you're going to find hundreds of articles about it. And which article is right for you? Which article is going to represent what you want? Yeah. If, if you Google, you know, the, the 100 best punk albums, you're going to find hundreds of articles. And which article is coming from an angle that's going to resonate with what you're looking for? That's, that could be super hard to find because the, the top hits are going to be the surface level stuff that's the equivalent yeah. of picking up Rolling Stone magazine because that's the only music magazine you know to find, you know? And they so, don't they don't list their biases up front. Like, you'll never yeah. find a 100 best albums that says, here's where I'm coming from this from. I'm coming from this from albums that had a substantial impact on rock and roll after that and stand on the merits as rock albums in addition to just punk rock albums. Like, no one is saying that. And that's usually not what I want, right? It's like, I want, what's the dirtiest gutter punk albums ever made <laughs> or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah, and that's where when you find, like, somebody else's references, like, uh, you find an artist you like that does, a, you know, a blog post or just makes a comment or whatever about 
some of their favorite stuff. Like there, you have like some roots to go and dig into, um, especially if they're influential to to a musician you like. Like Buck sixty five, for example, is uh, you know an indie musician rapper whatever that i like i don't even know if he makes music anymore really he kind of fell like just disappeared years ago and i think he just pretty much is a radio dj in canada but like he would share his thoughts about a lot of stuff and a lot of that like opened up influences to check out stuff and not all of it was going to resonate with me but the stuff that did like i mean that's essentially how i really got into more and more hip-hop was one was exposure from friends but two was the artists I listened to whenever I found like what they were referencing or when they would say who influenced them, you look at that stuff and then you look for what merit is there, even if on first listen, it doesn't doesn't catch you the same way because you're not familiar with it yet. Mm-hmm. Sage Francis has been huge in getting me um, acclimated with like, uh, you know, 80s and 90s hip hop because he will use little references in subtle ways but it's not you know it's not these big obvious ways so sometimes it literally takes me years later randomly hearing a song and being like holy crap that's the song that he referenced for this going through those threads to find the right things to check out are so much more you know meaningful and and um satisfying than just, you know that, that's what's hard like i have spotify so, you know, I don't have to go buy CDs anymore, pretty much. But if I'm like, what do I want to listen to? What happens? I listen to the same thing over mm-hmm. and over and over because I'm like, I, I, how do I think about what else to listen to? If I use one of their playlists, it's popular music that maybe I'll find something new. But, like, for the most part, that's not going to be what I want to listen to. Yeah. The One of the better things to do is to, like play a song that I like and then play the radio based on that song that helps some, but that's still just an algorithm that is going to play the most popular stuff that is related to it. So it's really like, it's not a good tool to dig into stuff unless all you want is what everybody else wants. Yeah. I've, I find it kind of mixed because what I found with Spotify is when I get deep enough into the weeds, uh, like if I dig down and I'm listening to, a wasted youth album and then i look at the other people also liked i get pretty good recommendations because chances are if you like wasted youth which is just like another random hardcore band from the early 80s that there is no popular music (laughs) that really overlaps with that and so the most popular stuff that other people liked is also going to be other just hardcore bands from the 80s for the most part so i feel like if i can get really really deep then the recommendations start to be fairly good but then i'm also limited by the fact that we're looking at it's it's stuff where not everything is on spotify it's Mm. not every hardcore band from the 80s has gone back to put all, all their stuff up on spotify so it's kind of like the the best of what spotify has access to then at, at that yeah. point yeah I, I agree with the point you just made that like when you get into the right stuff like the the other people listen to this stuff is better like i'm not you know if, if i put on run the jewels i'm not getting just uh also listen to this popular hip-hop like that's not what i'm getting but what happens is it ends up being the same little ball of artists mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the people also listen to this but then when you go to that artist guess what they're also listening to the same little you know spherical uh conclave of of things so it doesn't branch out very much more from there yeah that's true yeah if there's you know the playlist that they give you if it's like if it has 10 artists on it six are ones i already listened to and a couple of them like there might be a couple on there that i know and i don't like so i might brush across something new but for the most part it's just going to be like circling around but it still is better for like just listening to stuff that i don't have to pull out of my own brain to listen to like, you know, pretty much any anything I do, like Run the Jewels, there will be a bunch of Aesop Rock songs on that uh, also listen to this stuff, uh, you know, version of it. Because a lot of people listen to Aesop Rock, and I love Aesop Rock, I listen to Aesop Rock, but it's not going to introduce me to anything new. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. So back to Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Oh, man, full circle or half semi-circle or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, like half a circle and then jump back to the starting point. You know, I've, um, I've, I've heard about Aqua Teen Hunger Force so much. It's one of those things that was always around that I just 
never watched. I have no idea what it is, what the show is, what it's even about, what type of humor it is, nothing about it. It's just been one of those blind spots for me that I just completely ignored because for whatever reason, I just completely ignored it. So it's, I'll give you, and this is with a caveat that I haven't watched this show in literally almost 20 years. Uh, I'll give you a brief synopsis of what I remember from it, and then uh, I, I'm going to use it as a jumping off point to talk about something else. So there are three main characters. There's Frylock. He is uh, uh, like an order of French fries. Uh, he's they, they're all like superheroes, sort of. Like he's the most powerful one. Wait, so he's like literally a bag of French fries? Uh, not a bag. Like think McDonald's, extra large or large, whatever. Like a box of fries. French fries. Yeah. Okay. He's like that. But with, you know, eyes and stuff, like, the french fries kind of looks like dreads. And he, he, like, floats. That's how he moves around. He doesn't have arms or legs or anything. There's Meatwad, who is uh, a wad of meat. So, like, think uncooked <laughs> wad of meat. So he can reshape himself. He also has a, a goofy, childish kind of squeaky voice. Um, so he's the, you know, the stereotypical, like, um, kind of simpleton of the group that is, like, endearing. And then there's um, there's Master Shake, who is a milkshake. He has arms. He has eyes. He's also the one that's more, like, uh, out for himself, you know? Like, always looking how he can kind of make a quick buck or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, their landlord is, if I remember his name correctly, Carl, who is uh, uh, an overweight middle-aged white guy that always wears, like, a stained wife beater and is just kind of a, a bit of a dirtbag. And then adventures ensue. That's pretty okay. much it. It's one of those shows that's just like absolutely ridiculous. And that's yeah, that sounds terrible it. from your description. Yeah, when you describe it, it doesn't sound good. It, like I feel really, really good about my choice right now to just completely <laughs> skip yeah. this one. <laughs> that's well, just like anything right else now. that we said. Like you watch Archer. Okay, now Archer's got a little bit more put into the production of it, I think. So like you could probably argue that there's a little bit, but Archer is just a ridiculous, stupid show. You know. It's just another one of those shows. It's ridiculous and stupid, mm-hmm. and if it hits you the right way, you're gonna like it because it's gonna make you, you know, it's gonna make you laugh. And it's yeah, gonna, sure. Mm-hmm. Like we all kind of look for that ridiculousness that just, you know, kind of shakes up all the crap that's floating around in our heads all the time. Um, but so I was using that as a really uh, forced transition because uh, Meatwad is in the show to transition to Super Meat Boy. So I'm playing Super Meat Boy. Meat Boy. And I'm like, he he's like he he's Meatwad. With a girlfriend that's a Band-Aid and uh, a villain that is a fetus. So you want to talk about ridiculous. Like, come on, you, you, you yeah. trash on Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and I just said what Super Meat Boy is. <laughs> yeah, but Super Meat Boy is great, Paul. Everyone knows that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, um, we had talked about Super Meat Boy before, and I was looking at the, you know, like the, the sales on the PlayStation Network, and they had an indie game sale. So I was kind of looking through. And what I usually do when I look at the video game sales, I don't know if Xbox works this way, but you can sort it. I usually sort it alphabetically so I know how much further I have to go through looking at stuff before I get bored and just don't want to look at all these games that I don't want to buy because they often, like, overload these sales. Oh, yeah. So I did that. And it's also, like, every single edition of this. Like, here's the game. Here's the game of the year edition. Here's the game of the year platinum edition. Here's the platinum edition. Here's Here's the non-platinum game of the year edition. Here's a sale on a slightly different number of in-game currency. Oh, Here's yeah. A sale uh-huh. on a slight, yeah, so it can get annoying to look through these sales sometimes. So I, I sorted it alphabetically, and I'm scrolling through, scrolling through, looking to see if I come across any of the, the indie games that have kind of crossed my pathway and seeing if they're, you know, cheap enough that I want to take a shot at them regardless. And so I go, and I go, and I go, and I finally get bored, and I stop. And then I think, huh, and I go to the search, and I search Super Meat Boy, and uh, there it is. So it was like 70% off. So it was only like $4. And oh, perfect. That's awesome. I was like, that's exactly the price that I want to pay for, um, for you know, a random old indie game. And then I searched Braid, which was the other one you told me about, and it wasn't on sale. So I was like, nope, oh, you okay. got to wait. Um, yep. Was it even on sale? Either it wasn't on sale or it's only included in PlayStation Now, which is there like you pay 20 bucks a month and you get access to a whole bunch of games. It could be. Um, it's pretty old. Yeah. It was from previous generation. Because yeah. I got it for the Xbox 360, which is, I guess, now two generations ago. Yeah, so it might be one of those games. Because I think the way it works with PlayStation is um, PlayStation 
So PlayStation 3 games have been like often like ported to PlayStation 4, so, so a lot of those you can buy. PlayStation 2, nothing has been like ported to PlayStation 4. So it's not there's no ports, there's no re I mean some remakes like with you know certain games maybe, but um, for the most part, like PlayStation 2, like you can't play any PlayStation 2 games. Like I pay for this game and then I play it. You have to do like the PlayStation Now. And then mm-hmm. PlayStation 1, you can actually buy a whole bunch of those. Like I bought Final Fantasy 7. Horrible to play games that old sometimes on a, on a new system. So, um, yeah, so like anything PlayStation 2 is just in that kind of area of like, yeah, you got to pay for this service if you want to play it because they're not making it available just for purchase. Anyways, uh, so Braid is out, Super Meat Boy. Uh, super I, before fun. you get into it, I would just like to say Xbox is all backwards compatible, so I just don't have to worry about any of that stuff with Xbox. Yeah, I don't know what that means. It's great. What it means is that Xbox is superior <laughs> to PlayStation. <laughs> that's that's what it means, Paul. <laughs> uh, it all so like that's a that's a good conversation. Like it really all depends on what you're looking for and stuff. Like one of the oh, things yeah, I found, of course, yeah, is uh like trying to go back and play old games. Every time I do, almost well, almost every time I'll say I regret it because I go back to play this old game, and unless it's just a simple like you know plug and play, just jump into it, easy to play game. I don't enjoy it because if I'm going to play something that's more complex, guess what? I want to play a newer game that looks a hell of a lot nicer. There's some yeah. games I wish they would remake because that's kind of nice. Like I played the, um, I had never played Resident Evil, but I played the the remake of Resident Evil 2. I bought that on the PlayStation and that was really nice. Like I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed that it, it looks like a new game does. It plays like a new game does. If I went back and played Resident Evil 2, like just the original version by getting, I don't know, PS Now or whatever the heck I'd have to do. I guarantee you I would have played it a little bit like meh and moved on. Yeah, I think that one thing that happens with games is we remember how fun and new and different they were at the time. Mm -hmm. But then the times evolve and it seems very like like what was groundbreaking about a game gets incorporated into lots of games. And so it no longer feels as groundbreaking when I go back to older games sometimes. Yeah, I've been tempted. They have Red Dead Revolver. So Red Dead Revolver oh, was made yeah. by a different company than Red Dead Redemption 1 or 2. I remember when that game came out, I got it, I played it, I loved it. And then when they were coming out with Red Dead Redemption, I was like, oh, another company bought it. I was like, I, I want Red Dead Revolver, not whatever this is. And then, of course, I eventually got Red Dead Redemption and loved it. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wait, I was wrong. <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. And they are very different games. Like Red Dead Revolver, from what I remember, was more of like what I was saying, kind of plug and play, run and gun. You just do it. You know, you get in there and you play. It's like less about this big, expansive story. So, like, it might be fun to play that one if it is what I remember it to be. So, like, I've been tempted many times because it's like... It, regularly on sale for like nine bucks on the PlayStation Network, so I'm I'm regularly tempted to grab it and play it, but I'm always like, you know what? This is just most likely not going to live up to my memory of it. I've done that with other games, like I bought Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation Network. Yeah, not so fun playing that game now. It's like it's it's slow, it's tedious. The graphics are you know way 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 outdated. And now they have the the Final Fantasy VII remake that they're doing. That I actually I have the first of the first game because I I don't even get the whole like they're like it's gonna be multiple games. But now that it's been a while, like it's not really super clear what they're doing. But anyways, that's a tangent. But yeah, so like you know, it's tempting to get those old games and play them again, but it's just like they often don't live up. So Final Fantasy VII was a loss for me on that. I did just buy Oddworld. Abe's Odyssey. I don't know if you ever played that one. It was a, I think it was just a PlayStation game. I don't know if it was on Xbox. No, no, I haven't played that one. That was one of the first PlayStation games I ever owned. It's a really weird, quirky game, but it's basically like a 2D platformer, and you're this creepy little monster guy, and your race is subjugated by this race of more powerful, creepy little monster guys. You're their slaves. And they, they just use you for labor. They'll wantonly, you know, kill you if they feel like it, stuff like that. So you're in the game, like, you have to be the savior of your people and, like, help them get out of this, you know? So you have to sneak around because you have no power. You know, you're not powerful enough to fight anybody. You have to, to trick them. You have to use the environment to kill them. You have to, like, the one thing you can do is you go on, and this is all just from memory. I haven't played it again yet, is you can, like, chant... And, like, take over their mind and control them and do certain things. 
So it's like it's a it's like a puzzle platformer basically. Hmm. Um, okay. So that's a I haven't played it yet since I I bought it, but it was only a few dollars. So I got it for a few bucks, and that's one of the ones where it's because the way the gameplay is doesn't rely on amazing graphics or the kind of intuitive level of control we have now. I think that'll be the type of game that holds up well to a replay this many years later. Yeah, games um, that don't count on being groundbreaking in some way do tend to hold up better, I think. Yeah, and then it, it so like this game relies a lot on like the cleverness of the the gameplay. It's a puzzle game. I mean, like people still play Tetris and stuff like that. You know, it's because it's a very different type of game. You don't Tetris doesn't have to look nice for you to enjoy it. But this one like relies a lot on on the very interesting character design. And that hasn't changed. Like, those characters are still very interesting. It's not like over time um, it, that's been diluted because it's been overused. Because you pretty much, like, you couldn't take from this character design without just straight up stealing the characters. They're very unique characters. So, like, I think they're just playing through and, like, seeing the the, the art of it again, even with, like, the outdated graphics, is going to be pretty cool. So, another one that uh, was kind of a big swing and a miss was I got Paw Rap of the Rapper. Yeah, that... that I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> okay. I've still just been playing The Long Dark. And I find that I can just play that game and play it and play it and play it and not really get tired of it. I got to figure out how to get over the hurdle of that. I tried playing it again, but I, I haven't been in the right frame of mind, I think, for that game. So I, I decided, okay, because I tried playing just jumping into survival mode once. And I was like, I felt a little lost of what to do. So I said, okay, I'm going to try story mode. Maybe that'll like teach me. I played story mode a little bit, and after a little bit, I was like, I'm not at all interested in this right now, so I just stopped playing again. Like, I really have the feeling that once I get past that hurdle of figuring out like how to do the game, I'll enjoy it. Yeah, because they purposely design it so that you have to learn how to play the game by playing the game. Yeah. It, it kind of is its own tutorial, in a way, uh, which... It's normal. When I first got the game, it took me several tries before I could survive more than about one day in the game. Yeah. Just because there was so much I didn't know. Like, oh, I would freeze to death. Oh, because I I would freeze or I'd starve to death because, oh, I need to prioritize finding food and water. Or I'd get killed by wolves because I just wouldn't know. Oh, you can't walk too close to them because they will come chase you and kill you. And so <laughs> there's there's tons of learning things like that that happen in the game and once you learn the system it becomes very just kind of meditative and also it's a game where it's just it's for me it's like i i get these little goals like i'm running low on food so i have to go out hunting and you can use your rifle to hunt a deer which is definitely going to bring it down but you don't have very much ammunition. Ammunition is incredibly scarce in the game. And so I try never to use the rifle if possible. Or you can use a bow and arrow, but there's a chance that the bow and arrow isn't going to bring the deer down. It's just going to stick in them and they're going to run away. And then you may never find it and you'll lose your arrow. So it's these little risk-reward things that are constantly happening of... Can I take the risk of doing this small action to help me survive for a couple more days? Or do I need to play it safe, which will be harder in the short term, but maybe safer in the long run? Like these sorts of really small decisions and then just small victories of successfully hunting a deer and taking it down with an arrow. You know, it's it's that's kind of what the game is for me. Plus, it's just soothing and meditative because most of the game is just walking around in the frozen wilderness like 80 percent of the game is just walking <laughs> and and i just i find it very calming and soothing because i think that fits my personality yeah isn't it funny that uh we'll have one game where we're like 80 percent of the game is walking this is horrible and another game where it's like that's a, a feature point for it yeah, I know, right? Yeah. We talk about open world games that are too big, and it's because in those games, like, your purpose in it is to get from point A to point B to do something. So it's not the point A to point B traveling is the purpose of it. So then we're like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm having to walk way too far in Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm -hmm. So back to Super Meat Boy. 
Okay, yeah. Full circle to this full circle. <laughs> yeah, we just keep circling the meat. Yeah. <laughs> so that game was a lot of fun. I played through the, the whole first level, which, like, I, I don't know what you call it, first level, first world, but it's, like... First sequence of worlds or something. Yeah. Yeah, so you have, like, 20 different, like, little puzzles to solve, basically. So, like, in Super Meat Boy, you're trying to basically just get from point A to point B, avoiding death, and the whole time, like, you're leaving trails of blood, and you hit a saw, and, like, everything gets messier and messier. I also kind of like that when you do finally beat the level, it shows you every try you just had. Overlapped with each other. Yeah, I like, I think that's pretty cool. So, like, you'll see, all right, I tried again and again and again and again. So you'll see, like, 20 of the little Super Meat Boy characters all diving into the same saw blade and then the one that passes it, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that's 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 what's funny is, you, yeah, when 20 of them start and you see them just slowly being slaughtered and butchered and then just this one single lone one makes it all the way to the end. Yeah, you start, like, rooting for them, like, come on, you could do it! <laughs> Yeah, you, you, mm-hmm. you, you pick your, uh, you know, your little rat in the race at the beginning and, uh, you know, that, that's the one that's going to win, even though you just played it and made it happen. Um, it's also interesting because like, so I finished the first world and then it shows you your results and um, there's a lot more to complete it than just beating it. So each level, you can just beat it. Uh, you could beat it within the time frame to get like the A plus grade on it. Mm-hmm. There's hidden band-aids around the levels. Uh, and then... I don't know what this means yet, but there's, like, the dark mode version of the levels, I think is what it was called. So there's Yeah. Like an, yeah, there's, like, an alternate version of them. So I, I don't know what that means yet. I don't know if that's something that you unlock at some point or I don't know. Uh, but so there's replay value in trying to, like, even because, you know, I was playing through and uh, I think with the exception of one level... I made sure in the first world that I beat every level to get, like, the A+. So I made sure to beat it fast enough. I got pretty much every Band-Aid I saw. There's one that I gave up on trying to get because I didn't want to keep being stuck on that level. But so even beyond that, like the surface level, like, okay, well, here's the, the, the first challenge is just being the level. The second challenge is beating it fast enough. Well, there's more beyond that. So that's kind of cool. Like it gives you a reason to keep on going back and replaying it beyond just replaying it. But it's because all the levels are kind of short and sweet and fast. It's fun. Like, yeah. It's fun to just play it over and over and over again because there's no penalty for dying. And dying is just part of the trial and error of figuring out how to beat it. So, like, you definitely were right on that one. Like, that's a fun game to just pick up and play. And you could play it, for, like, literally for just a few minutes if you wanted to. Or you could sit there and play it for hours if you wanted to get lost and just going and going and going. Yeah, and that's what I really liked about it is it was very easy to do either of those things and not feel... Some games... If I just go play 10 minutes of, I'm going to feel like, ah, oh, I barely had any time and there was, it was just wasn't even worth it. Uh, you know, like a big game, well, like Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> it's really hard to play Red Dead Redemption for 10 minutes and to have any sort of satisfying gameplay session experience yeah. from that. Yeah, but Super Meat Boy, you can go and play 10 minutes and be like, all right, awesome. I got A plus on a level. Sweet. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Or and, I beat yeah. 17 levels, you know? Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Yeah, and so just the speed of the gameplay and how fun and compelling it is, it's it's just a really good package. I feel yeah. like it's it's the fact that you're just this blob of meat makes it fun and all these weird things about you your band-aid girlfriend and, and the the doctor fetus is the evil lord you're trying to be. There's just lots of really fun hijinks to it. It's like it doesn't take itself seriously at all, but it's also it takes the challenge of it really seriously. Yeah, and it really has the feel of those flash cartoons that we were just talking about. So, like, I think yeah. that this, this game was definitely designed by somebody who, you know, experienced those firsthand like we did growing up. And it shows in, in you know, in the product that they made. Totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. This game is absolutely suiting me right now, too, because with being in school now, working full time, having family life, I don't have a lot of time and. Everything is also very, like, there's one, time is one thing, but, like, mental capacity is a whole nother thing. So I don't have the mental capacity for a lot of stuff because school is taking up a lot of it. Work right now is taking up a lot of it. There will be times where work doesn't have to take up as much, but right now work is definitely taking up a lot of my mental capacity. And then, you know, family is always going to have some ebb and flow of that also. So, like, I, I don't really have the mental capacity for a video game. That's why, like, Long Dark right now, not the time for it. Because I can't really add more things to my brain right now. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. something easy like Super Meat Boy where I don't have, like, 
it took me a few minutes to figure out how to move about and play that game. So then it's just all about the playing. It's not trying to figure stuff out and like compile all these new thoughts in my head. That's been super awesome from from that angle. Some of the other games I've gotten that I've talked about, like, um, oh gosh, Limbo I played. Inside is the second one from those same makers. I kind of started looking at the beginning of that game a little bit. I haven't really dove into playing it yet. And then uh, Little Nightmares, I've played some on the PlayStation. Like, those are ones that, like, I've figured out enough that, like, I could just kind of go and play them. And it takes mental work to play them, but that's a very different thing from mental capacity, where it's, like, taking up room in my brain from other stuff. Even stuff like I, I've been kind of dabbling in collecting cards for a while, and I have had all these cards kind of piling up because I haven't wanted to put in the mental work to sort them and organize them. Mm-hmm. So I'm finally at the point where like, okay, I need to do this because one, I need to disperse some because they're, they're starting to get to be too many. So yesterday I was kind of sorting through and sorting through. And it's like, it's not the hardest work or anything, but I'm like, man, this, this really is kind of a time suck. And then like just having to think about like, what do I want to keep? How do I want to organize it? it takes mental space. So like everything like has that, uh, you know, it has an impact on that. So like the value of those things matter. So I'm kind of thinking about that overall. Like I'm, the Lakers just got eliminated from the basketball playoffs, which obviously I want them to win. But the nice thing about that is that's one less thing for me to think about. So kind of as I'm whittling stuff <laughs> yeah. down, I'm like, okay, kind of know, this isn't so bad. I can. They lost. It was a long shot. They were going to do well because of injuries. So it's kind of good that it's just over and doesn't have to keep on taking space in my mind. That's one less thing to think about. So kind of narrowing down, like Neon uh, Genesis Evangelion. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been watching that, and I, I've watched a few episodes, and I don't know if I should try to watch through it all or not, because I don't want to keep on paying for Netflix to not watch anything. So I have to kind of decide, like, do I want to get through that now, or do I want to put it off? Because if I go through that now, like, what else am I going to put aside and not watch right now? It's a big challenge. Yeah. So that's why it's nice to have a game like Super Meat Boy, where it's like, okay, I spent a few bucks on the game. I don't have to keep on spending money to play it. And when I play it, it's just going to be fun. Yeah, and you could you could put it down for a month or two and then come back to it, and you're not going to have lost anything for having done that. Yeah, and there are a lot of games, yeah, you take a little bit of time off and you forget how to use the controls to the extent that you can't perform at the level you need to perform. Mm-hmm. And Super Meat Boy, like, honestly, even if you do that and don't use the controls long enough to where you kind of forget how, how he moves, because that's really key, because you have to make these intricate jumps and stuff to avoid death. You just do it and do it until you get the the feel back because it doesn't matter if you die. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's also it's simple enough. It's basically you run and you jump, <laughs> is is kind of the two things you can do in the game. Yeah, from what I remember, maybe there's like video one other when thing. you first told me about. It, I was like, man, this looks like it's kind of hard. But then you play it and you realize it's less about it, like yeah, it's challenging, but is it's less hard than you think because it's more like making these really intricate jumps is less about having perfect control and more about knowing the pattern of what you have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when playing, uh, you know, punch out on the Nintendo, it wasn't sure. about like being the best boxer. It was about knowing the patterns yeah, and learning or- the patterns. So you would play and lose and play and lose and play and lose until you got really good at it. Yeah, or like Mega Man. Mega yeah. Man was a lot about patterns. Like, what are the patterns that the enemies go through? And once you yeah. know the patterns, you know what it's going to do, and it's really easy to position yourself right. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing with Mario. Like, you get used to the, the, the timing of jumps and how to dodge or kill the bad guys, and it's about the pattern they come in or, the, the like, the pattern of movements you have to do. So, like, as you keep doing it, you memorize that stuff, and then you're able to fly through the levels and look like a pro, Mm-hmm. And it's not about like that high level of control. It's been fun watching my son develop in, in those games. Like he's been into Mario and we've gotten it. We've gotten a bunch of different games since we've had a switch. And like, I've kind of learned now seeing how he reacts to different things. The game that is new since we got the switch that is really resonated with him is super Mario maker too, because he's able to use the creativity of making the levels, but then he plays them a lot too. If he just hmm. made them, I think he would have gotten bored with the game at some point or like it, you know, worst case scenario, or not worst case, but like the other scenario would be that like he would only ever like making the levels, and then like because I'm gonna get tired of playing the levels if he's just always nonstop making levels. Like if he didn't have somebody to play them, he would kind of lose the um, the value of making them. You know, so but he's he's gotten to playing them, and all the levels play like 2D Mario games. Like none of them are that 3D. Like Mario 64 was the first 3D Mario 
you know, place. Sure, so like side scroll and two D. Yeah. So even if they have other elements, um, like the the gameplay is still that two D side scrolling gameplay style. So like he's liked that a lot. He's gone on to the on the Switch. There's the virtual NES and the virtual Super Nintendo. He's played a lot of Super Mario Brothers. He hasn't played his. Uh, he's played Super Mario World. I'm sorry, Super Mario Brothers three and Super Mario World are the the two that I think he's played the most. Like two and one, he hasn't really played. Like Super Mario Brothers one is a pretty stiff game, and then two is just weird and totally different. So like he's okay. Super Mario World uh, Brothers three and Super Mario World. He's played those, and like I've been impressed with how it's like he keeps on sticking to it and learning how to play it better. And now it's like gotten to the point where he's more stuck on how to like solve a ghost house rather than just the actual gameplay itself. So he's like developed those skills. He really wanted Super Mario 3D All-Stars that they just released um, that is a collection of Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, and Mario Galaxy. So like the first three 3D Mario games. Oh, yeah. Mario Galaxy was awesome. I remember that game, it seemed like they all just got really high and designed levels for it. (laughs) (laughs) Is what I remember thinking when I was playing it because it was so bizarre. It's Every, really funny, like, yeah. looking at, looking now and looking back at how they've designed the different Mario games, it's really funny to see and recognize more the pattern of what they've done. Like, Super Mario 64 was taking Mario into this 3D world, but it was still a lot like if you took the previous Mario games and made a 3D world for them, they gave a mm-hmm. little bit more dynamic to the characters, they added some new elements but it was still like you're around bowser's castle you know you have this element you're going into paintings to go to these different worlds to fight the bad guys and get the stars and stuff like that so there is this like you know fanciful element beyond the, the fantasy that you already used to from mario but then the next one you're on an island and you're having to like use water to wash like tagging away on the island or something like it's <laughs> uh-huh it's a big jump of weirdness, you know, like, yeah, I guess pretty crazy. And then Super Mario Galaxy, you're flying through space, you know, using stars to launch yourself. And yeah, like it definitely like it's it's getting odder and odder as you go through the, the 3D games. And then we got Super Mario Odyssey for the Switch because I found it used for like 40 bucks when it's like, you know, the Mario games kind of usually stay up to 60 bucks a lot longer Mm-hmm. So I was like, ah, you know, I think we had some stuff that we tried. I was like, let's just go ahead and get it. And my son, like, that played a tiny bit on it and then just kind of backed off and went back to what he was used to. So then I, I'm getting tired of these games building up. And uh, the first one was uh, that I was just like, okay, we, we need to get rid of this game is Yoshi's Crafted World. Like, he played it some and it was kind of fun and kind of cute and whatever. But, like, he just wasn't getting into it. So I was like, I'm going to play it and then trade it in. I played it for a little bit. I'm like, I don't really want to play this. I'm just going to trade it in. So there it goes. So then Super Mario Odyssey was the next one. I was like, okay, I'm going to play this, then we'll trade it in, because he's not interested. But then he's so interested watching me play it. Apparently, he's watched videos of the gameplay a bunch on it. He, I, And that's when it just kind of clicked with me. Uh, he's not ready for that style of gameplay, that 3D style of gameplay. So, like, that game is kind of beyond him right now. Like, all those 3D games, like, he hasn't been able to get into any of those. But all the 2D, like, the, the, the platforming style of Mario games are the ones that are really resonating with him. And it was just really interesting to me, like one to see the comparison of how you have all these different trajectory that the Mario games have gone. So like, if you think of, and you know, we, we think about this a lot with like comics or, you know, movies or any kind of property, like what is the star Wars is a good example, actually. What is the, like the linear progression, you know, episode one, two, three, blah, blah, blah through nine. Right. And then you start to get these offshoots of, like, the animated series, and that goes off in this direction. And the movies that that are kind of more character-based but not, like, following that main trajectory. And there's all different kinds of stuff like that. So, like, Mario's kind of been like that. You have the the main trajectory of Super Mario Brothers 1, 2, 3. And 2 is, like, this weird oddball thing that's its own story. Then you got Super Mario World. And then from there, the trajectories start to change. Like, the, you think the linear goes to Super Mario 64, and then, like, the 3D continues that way. But then you have this offshoot a different way of, um, the like, the they started coming out with the new Super Mario Brothers games, which are still, like, 2D platformers, but, like, 
very different and like combining all these different weird elements together into it and like they get really fun but that's more of the, like sticking with the traditional 2d platformer version of mario and then there's all these other offshoots too you get even get offshoots like the the rpg ones the um the paper mario games but mario's not a narrative is it there's no narrative to mario other than like each particular game of oh no bowser has taken the princess again right no, yeah, there, there's not there's not like a continual narrative like there would be in something like Star Wars, but I'm, I'm talking more about the progression and the of how you discover it or like yeah, the like order. What is the sequel to it, this yeah. game? Yeah, you know, it's like what what's the sequel to Super Mario World? You would say Super Mario 64. What's the sequel to Super Mario 64? You would say Super Mario Sunshine. So you realize you're going down this track with that, right? But at a certain point, you start to get divergent, and then when you look back on it, you start to think, okay, was this really the, like, was this the sequel, or was this just where, like, sequels went away, and this, like, divergent nature came out to everything, and it's not about just, like, what's the what's the next one up? Mm-hmm. You know, so th- that just kind of made me realize, like, things are, are different now, and Super Mario Odyssey was, like, the thing that I thought of, okay, that is this generation's Mario game, but not exactly. It's one of three choices kind of hmm. and then of course okay. they like they try to get all the money they can out of everything so like one of the games my son wants is um i don't even know what the heck it's called but it was um like its first release was new super mario brothers wii u and that was like the wii u was the system before the switch yeah okay and they basically they just like released that for the switch also and convoluted the title somewhere i don't even remember what it's called but so it's like it's that game and then he really wants super mario 3d world which is also like basically the Wii the Wii U failed, so I think they're like trying to like, all right, we release Mario games for this. Let's release them for the Switch also, so they can actually make money. Yeah, so it's like okay, well, I I've been focusing on the wrong thing, thinking okay, my son likes Mario, so Super Mario Odyssey is the obvious choice. There's just no obvious choice anymore. I think is what the, the you know the answer is to it. Well, okay, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's kind of just outside of. Uh what i have to worry about right now yeah well, i mean like yeah okay i, I would that's <laughs> why i was relating it to, <laughs> stumped me with that one <laughs> i was relating it to star wars because like if you're telling somebody what star wars to watch now like the most recent linear star wars movies episode nine yeah so mm-hmm. do you tell them to watch episode nine well, I nobody should ever watch episode nine yeah. ever, but that's a different conversation. I think. Yeah, so like you got some more thought in it. Do you tell them to watch Solo? Do you tell them to watch Mandalorian? Do you tell uh, you like, watch one through nine, things. and then you just kind of pick and choose from there? Yeah, see that that's like one way to go. But like, if you told me, okay, you want to watch, you want to get into Star Wars, so watch these nine movies. I'm not going to get into Star Wars then. Like that's going to be like, all right, I'm not going to spend like eighteen to twenty plus hours. That's because you lack Star Wars discipline. Exactly. I don't, I don't want to be disciplined <laughs> in Star Wars. I'm already disciplined in whatever other thing I like. So well, it's kind I, of like looking at my start. son where it's like that's kind of where he's at. Like it'd be the same as if you as an adult were like, I really want to play Mario games. What one should I play? I got to give you a, a, a starting point, but now it takes more of figuring out what would be right for you than just like here's the obvious answer. It's well, not, I, you know, I think it's it's kind of a tricky question in a way because star wars unfolded over many many years like for me my experience was that star wars slowly came out i remember the first three movies existing as part of my childhood pretty much from the age that i can remember they were just always there and then one two and three came out and that was this huge addition and then the Clone Wars cartoon came out, and then that was an addition. And then the uh, Rebels and the sequels came out, and, and those were additions to it. So it kind of <clears throat> unfolded for me over my life. And so it's kind of hard to, if, if for somebody to say, oh, I want to get into Star Wars, where do I start? It's like, oh, you know, because it is, like you said, it's hard to just binge all of Star Wars. And then see if you like it, right? Because the way it was actually created was that it slowly unfolded over time. And so I guess it seems like I would say, well, you just watch the first three movies whenever you you have a chance and then then come back and we'll talk if if you liked them. 
And I, I would, I think that's what I would say. And so it's this weird question about things that were originally came out to be piecemeal little bits at a time versus trying to binge catch up on everything. It's a much different experience. And in a lot of ways, I think that the binge catching up is like an overloading experience where it's too much at once. Yeah. And then if you do binge it, you end up actually not like getting all the fine elements too. Like, yeah, we, we've all binge stuff. So like you binge a show, you might remember an episode you loved and not have a freaking clue where it was at in the show because you watched so much at once. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you watch a bunch of movies, read a bunch of comics, you know, like I've done, definitely done that where it's like I've binged through like a 20 issue run of a comic series. And then I remember something that I really liked in it. And I couldn't tell you like at all where it was at in the run because it all just like melts together. Well, yeah. Well, like all of Claremont's X-Men is like that for me. Yeah, exactly. With me binging through Claremont's X-Men, yeah, there are some very high points to that. And I couldn't tell you where they were. I couldn't go back and read them if I wanted to without having to actually look through everything to find it. Does your does your wife like Star Wars? Yeah, she does. Okay. So, like, say your wife didn't like Star Wars. Oh, and no. <laughs> no. I, I'm not what saying, have I like, done with my life? Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying, like, uh, like, I hate Star Wars. But, like, say your wife was apathetic. And then you meet... You get married, and then one day she's like, you know what? I would like to give Star Wars a try. What should I watch? Now, with it being your wife, you know her. You know what things she likes and why she likes them much better than the average person would. So if you knew that if you said, okay, let's watch episode one through nine, that would make her go like, nope, I'm done. I'm out. You know, because you watch episode one and it's a loss. Or if you said, okay, let's start with episode four, the first movie. But you know that for whatever her tastes are, like she would not want to watch a movie that was made in the seventies. That wasn't that wouldn't be the way to get her introduced to the universe mm-hmm. and and bring her into it. If you knew that, you know, the Mandalorian with the way it's episodic TV would entice her, you would you would start there, even though that's not starting from the beginning. Because you mm. want to get somebody like what's gonna make them want to do more? You know, yeah, see, I, I guess I, I kind of approach it a different way and not in the, in terms of what's the best, but more of what's the quintessential where I think the starting, the right starting point is episodes four, five, and six, because it's, it's kind of like, this is the most true. It's the best representation of Star Wars, Representation right? of what it is. So it's like you're either going to like it or you're not. And so I, I feel like it's if you like 4, 5, and 6, you're going to be inclined to like the other things. Yeah. But, but you know, I, liking The Mandalorian doesn't necessarily make somebody going to be inclined to like the saga movies. So but it opens the gateway. So and this is my point. Sure. That's why I use your wife as an example. Like if your wife did not like something that you love and she says, hey, I'm giving you the opportunity – to help me like, like Lord this. of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you had that opportunity, you don't want to, you wouldn't be as, as uh, not apathetic, but as lackadaisical about it as if it's just like, you know, if it's uh, a Twitter acquaintance, you know, like I was going to use me as an example, just like a friend, but like as a friend, you probably have a little bit more investment, but just a Twitter acquaintance. So somebody you like chatting with on Twitter. So, you know, if they like it, it'll be cool because you'll, you'll get a chat with them through the experience. But you also, if they don't like it, you don't really care. So, like, if, uh, you know, some random Twitter dude was like, what should I watch first with Star Wars? You just go, like, eh, start with episode four. It's the obvious starting point. And if they don't like it, it's not going to impact anything. But if you get your wife to like it, that's a bit, uh, you want that. Like, you know, we all want, the, the closer people are to us, the more we want them. Like, if they might love what we love, we want that. So you're going to mm-hmm. be more willing to not just go, like, ah, oh, this is the quintessential. I think, like, us as fans of anything, especially, like, I've seen this a lot with comic fans. If you go, like, okay, um, I've never read the X-Men what should I read? And you just go like, ah, well, start it, you know, 94, the beginning of Claremont. Okay, well, like, unless I want to be invested and I'm willing to put the work in, like, that's going to lose me. The reason oh, I was yeah, able to definitely. do that is I was already invested in the characters before I went back. So I read that and was like, all right, I love these characters. This is still kind of hard for me to read, but I like it. I like seeing these characters develop because I've never seen them from this point. So if it's random new comic fan and you actually care about them reading the X-Men... Unless you know that they're, like, well-versed in reading comics from that era, like, you're going to go about it a different way to try to get them to read the thing that's going to open the next door for them. And that's kind of what I've seen with my son with Mario, is it's not just like, okay, here's the newest game. It's, okay, this thing is opening this other door for you. What's the right next door to point you to, to where you keep going with it? 
And over time, like, because he, he really loves Mario. So over time, he's going to want to keep on exploring. He's going to find the different games. But, like, if we, when we got a Switch and he liked Mario, because I got him the Mario, you know, like, I got the Mario Encyclopedia for cheap because he was, like, really into, like, looking at characters and stuff. If I just slapped Mario Odyssey down, I was like, here you go. And I'm not going to get anything else until you play this and like it. He just wouldn't play Mario games. So that's been a learning for me. Like, I, I've... Like, I've always been a bit more empathetic with think, trying to think from somebody else's perspective when making a suggestion, but seeing my son progress through it, so somebody I'm close to and I'm seeing all the nuances to it, has really opened my eyes about, um, you know, how much better we can do if we say that we care about something and we're, you know, we want to share it with other people. Like, how much better we can do about our process in doing it. And I'd always just think of that, the quintessential. I can't gotcha. tell you how much music I've never listened to because all I get told is the quintessential. And I go back and listen to that most quintessential album and it doesn't resonate with me. And then years later, I find their, their album after that. And I listen to it. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I listen to that, develop a familiarity. And then I go back to that quintessential album and I like it a lot more than I did before. Well, okay. Well, I will be mindful of that in my recommendations. <laughs> I, don't know I won't give you the quintessential lecture, but... anything. <laughs> I'll give you the, the the weird experimental thing that came after. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. Like, a, a while back when you asked me in our Lost episode to um, to recommend a bunch of hip-hop stuff, I was trying to think, like, not just of the most quint... You know, so I guess this, like, does resonate further back with me. Like, when you make a mixtape for somebody, if you put on, like, the most quintessential songs... That can get really boring. Oh, uh, yeah, with a mixtape, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's I true that, for, yeah. for anything. It's like if, if I want to make you a representation of my favorite music and I only put on the most quintessential songs, you're probably familiar with all of them. Or even if you're not familiar with my music, like, there's probably more interesting songs I could put on. And, you know, um, man, I you know, going back to the whole, like, uh, flash culture, not flash culture, the, the internet flash cartoon culture, you know, like the stuff that we were talking about where... You have limited tools, so you have to be more creative with it. There was nothing better than when somebody made a mixtape and put thought into it. And, like, that was the best mix of music because of just the effort that went into it. I had a friend that made me a mixtape in high school that that actually got me listening to a lot of different music that I would probably wouldn't have really listened to otherwise. And it's just like that one mixtape stands out as, like, being something special. And it's a friend I'm not in touch with anymore or anything like that. But it's a cool thing. Cool. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up, mostly because I need to get going and we've been going over an hour. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in and uh, to this non-quintessential episode of 99th episode. So it means it's probably a great place to start. So thank you for joining us. All right. If you found this one, you know where to find other episodes. So keep it frosty. It's kind of hot here, so it's good.